single family space, you don't really have to do a lot of networking. Sure, there's things that can come through networking and, and relationships that you can build, but it doesn't take a team to take down a single family home, right? Not like in multifamily where there's so many different moving parts. So I, I quickly realized that, hey, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to build a big portfolio, networking is going to be key, which actually forced me to get into uncomfortable zone. If you're an active real estate investor and you're looking to do larger deals, you're in the right place. We are going to go and take the conceptual type of stuff that you listen to from other real estate podcasts and bring it down to the tactical, the nitty gritty, the actual actionable types of things that other real estate investors that went big did to grow their own real estate empire. You're listening to the Go Big Live podcast. I'm your host, Matt Druin. Hey, what is up? I am your host, Matt Druin, host of the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors podcast. I have an amazing guest here today. Goal of 10,000 doors by 2023, Mr. George Abreu. A little bit about George is CEO of Elevate Commercial Investment Group and JNT Construction. George's endeavors bring a million dollars in yearly revenue. With over 16 years of experience in the industry, George has achieved remarkable success in real estate investing. From his start in single and small multifamily properties to large 100 plus unit multifamily properties, George has done it all. Join us as he shares his journey leading up to his first go big style deal and insights into wholesaling, capex, development projects, and how he has amassed a portfolio worth over $550 million in assets while setting a goal to reach 10,000 doors by the end of 2023. George, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we're, I, I want to know, I mean, it begs the question, where are we at in 2023 in your goal? Right. A little bit over 7,000 units. Got another, let me see, 300, about 600 in the pipeline now. So most likely going to fall short, but it's been a interesting year to say the least. And I, I feel good about what we've been able to accomplish so far. Yeah, no, absolutely. So why 10,000 as a number? Just got a nice ring to it. No, <laughs> it's a good economy of scale. When you've got that many units, a lot you can do with that. We now brought everything in-house as far as construction and property management. And I feel like it's a good foundation to, to build from there. I do the same thing. I just pick, you know what? That number sounds scary. So I'm going to go for it. And then, yeah. and then that's, there's that whole saying, if you shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you're bound to land among the stars, right? <laughs> and, we, and we did have numbers attached to it, right? So in the beginning of this year, we had our, our goal setting meeting and our goal was to close one deal a month. And our average deal size is somewhere in the 200, 300 unit. So if you do the math, that would have put us right at above 10,000 units. Oh, sweet. So I want to get into all that. But before we do, I have a, the same question for all our guests. You were born and now you're here. What happened in between? Where do you want me to start? I guess I'll, I'll kind of go through how I ended up being multifamily owner operator and, and in real estate. College, I, I studied to be an electrical engineer. I was just always good at math and graduated high school, with calculus two, and just came easy to me. So I chose that path. But while I was going to college and, and going to all these classes and doing all this stuff that I would never do again or use in <laughs> my day-to-day, I realized I did not want to be an engineer. I wanted to be a business owner. It had kind of been engraved in me as I grew up. My, my dad was a business owner. A bunch of my uncles were business owners. And 
Yeah. So then I, I kind of, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to own my own business and, and build something large. And I just started looking up successful individuals and kind of how they grew their wealth. And I kept bumping right back into real estate somehow, some way. So then I started reading up into real estate investing. How do you get started in this? How do you do this? And ended up hiring a coach on the single family side and, and started doing a few wholesales and then fix and flips. Finally enough to where at that point I had graduated and I was working at UPS in the engineering department, quit my W-2 and just started doing it full time. That was about, wow, man, time flies. It was about 16 or 17 years ago. Did everything you can think of when it comes to single family, really did a lot of fix and flips. And then that became, started getting more creative and adding on second stories and additions till finally scraping the properties and building them new. Then started doing some small multifamily stuff, four units, eight units, that kind of thing. And then about seven years ago, I was introduced to multifamily and mm-hmm. being able to acquire these larger hundred plus unit apartments. And it was pretty good timing because at that point, I had grown the single family side as much as I thought I could, right? I kept hitting a brick wall and trying to scale that business. So as soon as I learned about this, I mean, I became obsessed. I started listening to every single podcast, reading all the different books, going to events, ended up kind of going the same path, right? I ended up going through a coach and spent about a year really learning the business and really different compared to single family. There were some things I learned during single family that I was able to kind of carry it on, but most part, I mean, it's you're buying a business versus buying a single family home when you buy apartments. So, you know, and we were able to partner up with someone that had the experience and that could also help us with the equity because we had never raised equity up to that point. It was either my own funds or we had a couple of private lenders that quickly told us they weren't interested in multifamily when we pitched it to them. That part was new and different. So didn't have to raise any equity on our on the first deal. We were able to to after underwriting hundred plus deals, we found one that penciled well here in Texas, and that was the first acquisition. And then from there, that was maybe six or five years ago. I can't remember exactly. Acquired a little bit over seven thousand units now. Exited sixteen hundred plus. Still going. So George, I think we should dive into that first deal that you did. It's kind of our as our uh, case study. So you were in, so you had a mentor or coach during this process. It was probably a pretty big help in terms of swimming upstream from single family and small multifamily. So kind of how did that process start from when you started, like we're off to the races and looking for deals? How did this opportunity come to you? I've always been pretty good at following directions, right? So if, if I'm going to hire a coach, I'm, I'm going to listen to what they take action. So a lot of networking and this deal specifically came from a networking event and it was a single family broker actually, but they knew they had sold this multifamily apartment to the owner. So they reached out to the owner and asked him, Hey, you interested in selling it? And they were, so it was completely off market. We were able to negotiate a pretty good deal. And that, that's how we found it, right? So networking, getting it out there, letting everybody know, Hey, we're buying apartments and then putting that team together so that we could actually take it down and Execute the business plan and all that. So let's talk about the networking part. 
right? Was this a sort of accidentally networking? Were you intentionally networking? There's people that like to network and I call it not working. So tell me about the networking component. Was that something that was intentional in your plan? Absolutely. I learned early on from the single family to the multifamily. You know, in the single family space, you don't really have to do a lot of networking. Sure, there's things that can come through networking and, and relationships that you can build, but it doesn't take a team to take down a single family home, right? Not like in multifamily where there's so many different moving parts. So I, I quickly realized that, hey, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to build a big portfolio, networking is going to be key, which actually forced me to get into uncomfortable zone. I don't enjoy networking that much, but you know, I decided I was going to do it, right? And I knew I had to do it. So I was going to all the networking events you can imagine that had anything to do with multifamily or if there were high net worth individuals. This one specifically was BNI. It's a group. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they've got them all over. Group gets together and they try to network and uh, give each other leads and whatnot. Yeah, that's how that happened. It was intentional. It wasn't just hanging out and which I've had some of those too. Yeah, no, I was a, a former uh, B, BNI member when I was a residential realtor. And it's like the the weekly, I think we met at uh, seven o'clock on Tuesday mornings. And yeah, no, it's a, it's amazing where these types of opportunities will come from because typically BNI is a lot of just retail type businesses, your residential realtor, your insurance person, you're maybe a community, community banker, your Mary Kay lady and that type of thing. So we were so, actually there as a, with the construction company. So also yeah. I have a construction company. I left that part out, but for roofing, residential roofing at that time, mm-hmm. but just getting it out there that, Hey, we also buy apartments. And then that came about. Yeah. So what other, besides BNI, what other networking were you doing at the time? Just all the multifamily events. I mean, there's a bunch now, right? I mean, I don't even know how many there are on a yearly basis, but back then there was just maybe a few. So definitely attending those. And then other type of networking. I mean, social media was a big part of it as well. Really starting to build out those platforms, thought leader in the multifamily space. Anytime I was looking at deals or on site, I was doing content and putting it out there. So that also helped with the networking. So let's bring this sub deal a step forward a little bit. So you got this brought to you by a broker. I imagine you probably walked walked the deal. Kind of tell us like how you went through underwriting to how you formulated an offer and how you structured the deal and that type of stuff. Yeah. We underwrote it just the way we had been taught to underwrite it. And we're surprised when it actually penciled because we had underwritten (laughs) so many so that we got that feeling, okay, now what, right? We haven't made it this far. That's where we then brought it to our coach, reviewed it, had us make some adjustments and agreed, hey, this deal does pencil. It does got potential. So then we we scheduled to go out there and, and tour the property, checked out the, did some estimates on what it was going to take to, to fix it up and, and renovate it, checked out the area, made sure that we liked the location. And shortly after that, we put in our offer. Let's say we went straight to a PSA on this one just because it was off market and we're pretty much dealing with the owner direct almost. And then scheduled the due diligence. So went out there, inspected every single unit brought out our, our construction team, did a hard estimate on everything. Somewhere in that, I ended up partnering with someone to sign on a loan because even though we had a, a, de- a decent balance sheet at that point, we still didn't have that 
box of the experience with multifamily. And then they were also going to help us with the equity, to raise the equity. So put that partnership together and then close shortly after. The close was pretty easy on that one, actually. So tell me about the the numbers in this deal. Can you tell me the purchase price? I know a lot of people that talk about Texas are like, no, we don't talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I don't own this deal anymore. So it doesn't really... All right. Excellent, man. It's fair game. I think I signed anything with the... question is, can I remember the numbers? Look, I think it it was a Temple, Texas, which is a smaller market in Texas, close to Waco. I want to say we got it for $40,000 or $50,000 a door, somewhere in that range, which was a pretty low basis, even for a smaller market. Went in there, we put in, gosh, I want to say maybe 400,000. So we completely repositioned it. It was a B location. It was a C property in a B location. We had to reposition the tenant base. I mean, we had some drug dealers in there and all kinds of stuff. We did that. We renovated majority of the units, not all of them, and then really changed the curb appeal and rebranded it. And once we were done doing that, put it on the market and got it sold. So this was kind of like a, this was like a flip. That right? Essentially, I mean, I I want to say we're into it for maybe a year and a half or maybe right before the two-year mark. Okay. Okay. So if I'm doing it 37 units at, let's say, 40,000 a door, I I got my handy-dandy calculator out here right now. So I got so about one and a half million or so, give or take. And then you had about $400,000 in CapEx on the property, give or take, right? Yeah. I want to say... We were all in around 1.6. So I might've been high on some of those numbers. No worries. So about, let's say $1.6 million capital stack. What was what was the percentage equity debt? Did you bring bank financing on this or were you raising 100% cash with your, with your co-partners, stuff like that? Yeah, no, we did a bridge to agency type loan with a small business, no, small balance loans. It was with Sabal, which is now regions, but I can't remember what leverage they gave us somewhere in the maybe 75% or 70 to 75%. I mean, it was a small equity raise. I can't remember exactly how much it was that we brought in, but maybe 400,000 or so. Uh, was that like 75% loan to cost or loan to value? Loan to cost because it was a bridge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you fi- did you finance some of that $400,000 renovation as well? Yeah. Yeah. It would have been part of the, the bridge loan. Yeah. So how is the how is the, the partnership structure negotiated from in terms of splits and that type and that type of thing on that on that deal? I don't remember the exact, but I mean we've from the beginning we've done it fairly the similar structure where we kind of just break out the responsibilities, right? So if somebody's signing on the loan, they get say 10%. If you found the deal, you get 10%. If you're gonna be asset management, you get maybe 30%. Kind of just break it up like that. We did the majority other than equity and signing on the loan. So I think we had maybe 60% of the GP or something like that. Okay. Okay. So what did you learn during the process of doing this deal for your first big one? Learning points. The reposition part of it, we knew with the rent bumps, I can't remember exactly what the rent bumps were, but I mean, they were significant. I want to say somewhere 300 plus maybe. We hadn't figured that we were going to have to almost reposition the whole property right on the with the existing residents. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely something we learned on this one. We learned some stuff with the renovations for sure. We got we 
get better and better with every deal we do right on the renovation side, but nothing significant, just definitely some stuff to take from there, getting the materials ordered early and getting those unit make ready packages really organized. I think what else? We had a fire. I won't, actually we were getting, so I think this was over two years maybe because we actually ended up refinancing it into agency. And right when we were doing that refinance is when we had the fire. So that, that was interesting. We, I think it was about four, four or five units. We got those units done fast, especially for fire damage mm-hmm. so that we can get that refinance pushed through. And then our buyer actually ended up assuming the loan. Okay, great. So when you converted to the permanent financing and the in terms of the agency debt, were you able to take some cash out of the deal and distribute it back to to the original investment partners at that point in time? We were, I can't remember exactly how much capital we returned back. I want to say it was maybe like 50% or so. Wow, that's and great then, in that short of that in that shorter period of time. So was your original plan to fix this thing up, do bridge debt, convert to agent agency debt, and then sell it, assuming that, hey, we're going to have great agency debt on this and we're going to have somebody that is going to place value on that assumable loan? Or was this like you got an unsolicited offer out of nowhere for the right price and you're like, all right, guys, let's let's do this thing? Yeah. The, the original business plan was to refine to the agency and then we were going to build out our portfolio a little bit more in that location, mm-hmm. but it became harder to find deals there. There was only so much multifamily there. The market was heating up at the same time, right? So it made sense to just exit. And yeah, I don't, we didn't formally list it. So yeah, it was somebody came to us and sold it that way. Okay. So what are some of the other takeaways in terms of what you learned during this whole process? I think that's about it. Like I said, this one was, we did sure learn a lot, especially going through the process the first time, right? Is everything that, that happens to get a deal closed. I think mm-hmm. that kind of gets underestimated. All the paperwork and just you know, all the back and forth between attorneys and the lender. And so that we learned a lot during that process. And then definitely on the asset management, pushing those rents and just how to manage at that time, third party manager, right? We, we didn't have in-house management at that time. So really learning how to push them and hold them accountable. We had to fire our first man, our first property manager that we had on that property, brought in another one and then made a world of difference. That's what got us to be able to refinance, get the property up and refinance. Yeah. And for those of uh, you listening on the show right now, 37 units is kind of a weird unit size, especially if it's if it's a newer market and you don't have the economies of scale to having a team in place. Because yeah, like a 37, it's like, all right, you don't have enough doors for a full-time maintenance person. You don't have enough doors for a full-time leasing person. So it can be definitely difficult to manage that in-house. And then also, if this was a tertiary market, I imagine that there was probably not a lot of management companies that manage product like this, I would assume. Yeah, no, you're correct. I completely forgot about that part. I mean, I'll tell you this, the, the biggest takeaway from this one was I never want to do anything under 100 units again because of how hands-on we had to be with the management for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. We couldn't really have that on-site staff. We tried everything from having part-time to having a floater that another management company that has several properties there from having manager slash maintenance stay in one, live in one of the units. None of them really worked well. We ended up selling to somebody that already had 
our apartments there, right? They had already kind of done what we had planned on doing in the beginning and kind of built up their unit count. So yeah, we went from, then our second deal was 216 units. So we said, we're staying far away from this. And <laughs> now we kind of average that 200, 300 unit, like I mentioned, for that reason, so that we could have the proper staff on site. 100%. So fast forward to now, what are sort of your mantras and words of advice that you can give people that are in our audience that are a lot of people that listen to the show are maybe have a few doors under their belt. They maybe have a couple of two family properties and they're looking to swim upstream into larger deals. What would be your words of advice knowing what you know now? I hear a lot of times, do we need to start small? Do we need to start in single family? I don't think you do. I really do think you can go straight to large multifamily. That said, I do think having a good coach or having somebody with experience to partner with is very important. Like you, you could, yeah, these deals are bigger, right? So there's more money involved, got investors money that you're responsible for. So messing up on, on a large multifamily property is not something easy to recover from. But with all that said, if you do partner with the right people and you do structure it correctly, I see no reason why you can't jump straight to it. And then my opinion, you save a lot of time and, and you can really start building something grand. I'm, I made good money in the single family space, but it wasn't the type of wealth that I had kind of set out to when I told myself I was going to be a real estate investor. Very transactional and, and very time consuming as well. I sympathize with that advice, right? Because I was the guy for 13 years thinking that I had to be big to go big, which doesn't make any sense. But it took me 13 years to buying small multifamily properties in order to replace my income. After I became financially free or financially independent, whatever you want to call it, I was like, damn, my wife still has to work. Now I don't have to work, but my wife still has to work. So it's going to take me another 13 years to do that. And the major aha moment that I had was when I was able to replace her income with one deal. And I was like, I can never go back after that point in time. That's why I say it to people is you don't have to manufacture these mental hurdles in front of yourself in order to, to, go, to go big in real estate. So no, I definitely, definitely agree with that. those words of advice, George. If you're listening right now to the recorded version, we are going to jump into the live Q&A. So if you want to get direct access and asking Titans like George, your questions, we have a Facebook group called the Go Big Live Real Estate Investors Group. Make sure to check it out and put in a request on it and I'll let you in. And you can get direct access to Titans like George, Gina Barbaro, Reed Goosens, Stephen Libman, Brian Burke, the list goes on and on. So make sure to check that out and we will see you soon. So thanks for tuning in and thanks for being on the show, George. 